Welcome to Because and Effect, a podcast from the Winnipeg Foundation, where we talk to people about the causes they care about and the effect that it has on their lives. My name is Nolan Bicknell. Javier Schwersensky says he's got the best job in the world. As CEO of the Winnipeg Humane Society, Javier leads the oldest animal shelter and animal welfare nonprofit in all of Manitoba. It's actually 126 years old. Originally from Argentina, Javier has a wonderful success story here in Canada and has been giving back by working in Canada's charitable sector for years now. I sat down with Javier Schwersansky to talk about the Winnipeg Humane Society and their devotion to animals, humble beginnings in Argentina, and how the WHS is looking forward in a post-COVID-19 world. Javier Schwersensky, thank you for joining us on the Because and Effect podcast. Did I say that right, Javier Schwersensky? You, you are one of the few that said it very, very well, Nolan. So Great. congratulations. So CEO of the Winnipeg Humane Society, welcome to the show. We're going to talk about a lot of things because uh, it's a crazy time out there right now. Um, so, you know, most conversations when you meet someone, it starts off with how you've been dealing with the COVID-19 epidemic. So how has the Humane Society been handling things? How are you handling social distancing? And, and what's the last, you know, two, three months been like for you guys? Well, the, the, the best metaphor I can, I can tell you is we're, we're building a plane as we're flying. Um, we were deemed an essential service by the, the province. And that means that we um, have to, of course, observe all the lockdown measures, but we had to remain open. So very quickly, in, in uh, just a few days, we had to get ourselves organized and see you know, how we can serve uh, our purpose or mission and still uh, comply with all the regulations. And, uh, you know, of course, I'm biased because I'm the CEO, but I think we've done uh, a very good job at trying to really uh, meet the needs of the community in these uncertain times and protect the health and well-being of the staff. So what have been some of the big challenges for you guys? Like what, what has been something that you didn't expect? Oh, I didn't think that would uh, affect things. Or like, well, you know, what's something that surprised you about this whole process so far? Well, I, I, you know, the, the more than, than surprise, uh, you know, I, I would say that there, is, there was this increase in demand for some things and people not being able, for example, to feed their animals. And at the same time, the fact that we were under lockdown, so we can't just open the doors. You, you know, we have to, we move from coming here uh, when we're open, which was pretty much every single day of the week, to having to do an appointment system, uh, having to regulate our intake based on the capacity that we had to have staff uh, in the premises observing social distancing rules. And what do we do with the animals that are not coming in to make sure that we are helping them, that we're protecting them, and the, and the humans that are caring for them? So that poses a lot of logistical challenges that uh, we, we kind of troubleshooted as we went. And we tried something, and if it didn't work, we'll try something else until we kind of found now more of a new normal in terms of how we operate. For sure. Well, yeah, as long as that plane stays in the air, you know, you're just going to keep building and see what works. You don't want to Yeah, no kidding. So, I mean, one big change that's having to happen is you're doing a virtual pause in motion event this year, a big, a big fundraiser, an event that normally people come out. I think it's in Cinnaboyne Park. Usually you bring your pets and everyone gets together and it's, it, it's, I've seen pictures and it looks like an amazing time. So tell me how this year has changed because of the, the pandemic and, and what you guys are doing a little bit differently. So, yeah, so we, we used to have a walk and hopefully we'll come back 3000 people at the Cinnaboyne Park. 
Um, I am usually in shorts and waving a flag and leading the parade. And of course, we had to pivot to something else. So we did some research in terms of organizations that were already doing online fundraising and, and events like this and what you know we can learn from them. And did a lot of thinking. We went back to the community saying, you know, if we do this or, or how you feel. And we ended up keeping the core, which is be active with your, with your, with your pet, have fun, enjoy the summer, celebrate the, the bond between the animal and the human, uh, but let's do it virtually. Uh, so we post videos. I have my kids with the with with my pets on one video, and uh, essentially you post that, and you can fundraise uh, to help us uh, do the work that we we do. And we're very grateful. The community has responded really really well. We also added a 50/50 online, and you can go to www.humanesociety.ca and still participate. I think that the pot is close to um, I think six thousand dollars. So. It's, um, you know, I'm not sure I can participate, but you can. <laughs> Great. Uh, that way we are ensuring that we can meet our fundraising goal, but also we're engaging the community. Our biggest concern is, you know, we have a bond with the people that support us and we want that bond to stay strong, even though we may be physically a bit more distant. That's what's one of the coolest things about the WHS is that you have some passionate supporters and some people who will do, you know, I don't know how many, I think I read somewhere over 700 volunteers that are within the sort of umbrella. How important is that connection and maintaining that connection? But I mean, how cool is it as the CEO to have people who are, who will literally like go to the ends of the earth for your organization because they believe in the cause so, so much. You know, I, I, I say to the team, I have the best job in the world. Uh, it, it's the, the support of the community is unbelievable. And any person that is lucky to be able to adopt an animal and, and they don't ask for much, you know, they want to be fed and they want to go for a walk and, you know, be entertained sometimes if you have a cat, sit on your uh, laptop and not let you type. But the, that, that bond is so special and people get it. And the ability for us to help an animal that is in need for many different reasons. Someone could pass away. The person is not able to keep up with you know, a medical condition. And being able to help, our supporters understand that. And they also understand that we do this with their help. We couldn't do it without them. And that fuels our 750 active volunteers and the thousands of individuals that give us, you know, uh, hard-earned money. And I know that I have to be a careful steward of their trust and their money. And we try our very best to do both. So for the last few months, how have you stayed connected with those volunteers? Are people still able to come in and help out? Or obviously, you know, there will be a bit of a reduced schedule and stuff. But how have you stayed connected with, your, with the 750 as well? Well, one of the decisions that I made early on in my tenure, being here for five years, is to treat volunteers as if they were staff. So all staff communication is also sent to um, our volunteers. And also we send updates. So when we send an update to staff in terms of where we're at and you know where we're at financially, where we're at in terms of opening and reopening and services, uh, we communicate to our volunteers. And actually next week, We'll have a thank you uh, parade. So we're going to be uh, at a safe you know, distance. Our staff is going to be stationed through our parking lot. And volunteers can just drive by and we can wave them. And we miss them. We miss them 
badly. And that's another way that we, we connect. Also, we have done a lot of uh, online meetings mm-hmm. um, via Zoom. We also use Microsoft Teams. And we try to stay, stay connected in groups to remain connected because volunteering is not only serving the community and helping our organization. It, it's, it's a social uh, aspect that mm-hmm. we don't want to lose. So, you know, we replace 3D interaction to 2D interaction as uh, much as we can. And we have a phenomenal volunteer um, services department that is really embraced technology to try to help us um, connect with our, our donors and our volunteers. For the average person who's heard of the Humane Society or kind of maybe generally knows what each one does in a city, what, what's something that the average person doesn't know about the WHS that you think they should know? Like maybe maybe an operation that you get or, you know, a, a function or a programming that you guys have that people just don't know about that you wish more people knew? Well, there are, I guess there are many things. The, the, the biggest thing for, for us is anytime someone comes for a visit, um, they're surprised at you know what we have. We have a f- full uh, medical suite uh, where we treat over nine thousand animals every year. Um, most people are surprised to know that we are a through and through charity. We do not receive government money to run our operation. We do have a contract with the province to enforce animal welfare laws, and we have a contract with the city of Winnipeg to handle the uh, stray cats on behalf of the city. But those are service contracts. The rescuing, the uh, healing, the adoption that we do, it's all based on the support of the community. And the other aspect that is sometimes not understood is we are one of the oldest charities in Manitoba and in Canada, over 126 years now. And also we we care about all animals, not only about dogs and cats, of course, and rabbits, but also about how well or not well or farm animals are being treated, what is happening with exotics. And we, we try to really enact uh, change and, and ensure that people understand that we can do better to all animals, not only um, you know, our, our cats and, and, and our Right. Yeah. Going through the, uh, again, the website is Winnipeg Humane Society, all one word, .ca. There is You could spend hours learning and understanding about all the different things that you guys are kind of doing and stuff. Was there anything about this job in the past five years that kind of, oh, I didn't know that I would have to become an expert on that, but here, here we are now. Now look at me. I could talk about this for hours. Like, is there anything that you didn't think that you would have to be an expert in that now you are? You know, understanding animal behavior and and how stress plays a role in illness, uh, was surprising for how close it is to us humans. Mm-hmm. You know, we, uh, one of the biggest changes that we, um, we had is we, we had a lot of cats getting very sick when they were here uh, in, in the shelter. And it was very concerning. And we, uh, you know, there's a lot of research being done in North America and we found out that the problem is cats are not used to be in tiny cages. So we double the space and we're doing that, we're reducing the amount of cats that you can hold. So it, it was a very difficult decision to make. And you solve that as kind of musical chairs by adopting animals faster. Mm. The moment that we stopped moving them around and we gave them a space where they can hide, the illness rate fell down vertically. Like we went from having our isolation areas full to right now they're empty. 
And that is counterintuitive. It's something that you would never think. And now there's a lot more research being done on welfare from a mental perspective. And as you know, mental health is quite an issue for humans. It is an equal issue, anxiety and change for, uh, for an animal. So that, that was absolutely surprising. That's very interesting. I, never, I mean, you hear so much about the mental health benefits of adopting a cat or a dog or any animal and just having that in your life. You, you never think, you know, the flip side, how, how's your cat's mental health or how's your dog's mental health? Are you guys able to educate, um, you know, new pet owners on the importance of that now as, as maybe more research is, is done and, and becomes public? We, well, we, we try hard through education. We also offer classes. We have our um, helpline. So if anyone has challenges with, you know, my cat is scratching or is acting strange or my dog is chewing everything, um, what do I do? We're really trying to help. And, and the other big change for us is we don't want animals in the shelter if we can help it. We want to preserve the bond between that pet and those humans. So anything that we can do to help the community that way, we will do, and whatever it takes to, to, to support. Of course, with uh, our current situation, we have started some classes, but we do mostly virtual consultations. Right, that makes sense. So you mentioned this is the best job in the world. Is that partially because you're a huge animal lover too? Or like, what have you had pets your whole life? Or what's your situation when it comes to, to pets? Yes, I, I, I have. I'm originally from Argentina, so the relationship is a bit different at the time. Uh, but my family um, had almost, I would say, a recreational farm in um, central Argentina, which I spent most of my summers growing up going there so the school was over and then i would spend a few weeks with my auntie uh in in that farm and it was just you know unbelievable uh kind of learning and and then the environment and then um the the biggest change growing up um my grandma's and grandpa's house uh, were in a place where there was an empty lot um to the side and uh, there was all of a sudden this black cat and Argentina black cats are really not wanted at all. It's mm -hmm. a sign of, you know, if a black cat crosses you, then you need to do certain things in order to, you know, prevent. We're, um, you know, uh, in that way, kind of funny. And um, I somehow, I was seven, convinced my mom to take the cat. So <laughs> Mumi became the family, the first, you know, the family cat. Then, then we had a dog. In, in he, I made a promise. I said, I am going to take care of this cat. And we did, I did. He slept on top of me for most of his life. Uh -huh. And he led a very long life, over 23 years for a cat. It was unbelievable. And uh, we were inseparable. We were, we were a team. He would always be waiting for me after school. And uh, that kind of was the, the, uh, the beginning of... Uh, my relationship with um, with pets. But to be honest, I also really like the fact that the Winnipeg Humane Society is a community-based organization. We are fueled by our staff and volunteers and our donors. And having that is so unique and so special uh, that you know, if if you love the charitable world and nonprofits, 
it's an awesome place. It definitely seems that way from the outside. I mean, I've been at the foundation for about five years too. And, you know, just being able to talk to people who choose to work in, in this industry or whatever you want to call it is a pretty inspiring thing. You must, you must have been a pretty um, persuasive seven-year-old to be able to convince. I've been trying to convince, well, I'm not, I don't live with my parents anymore, but for the 17 years that I live with them, I was like, can I get a dog? Can I get a cat? And I was not able to persuade them. So as a seven-year-old, I'm impressed by your persuasion uh, abilities, especially with a black cat. I think my mom may have wanted to get the cat. I don't know. I never asked. So I take the credit. Maybe it's not deserving, but uh, I, 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 uh, I did push to get the heat. And my grandma was also, uh, you know, in the background really pushing because she really wanted this, this cat in a good, in a good mm -hmm. home and it was all by itself. We don't know what happened with the rest of the litter. Right. Uh, people would, would throw things in that, in that kind of empty lot all the time. Oh, geez. So, well, so let, can we talk a little bit more about Argentina and, and your and your past? Like, I, I I don't know exactly when you came, but can you just tell me about how you sort of came to Canada, why, and and how you started to started your career uh, overseas? I, you know, where do you want me to start? So <laughs> there are sort of things in 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 your life that happen, and and they are life altering moments. So um, for me, it was in in actually high school. So. I was in my, uh, I guess, grade 11, and my very dear friend, um, Pablo, um, oh no, so sorry, Christian, um, challenged me. There was this little kind of ad in the school newsletter that uh, at the time the United States and Argentina had an agreement, and there were some organizations that were selecting students to uh, finish the last year of high school in uh, the United States. And he just dared me. He said, you know, I will I, I challenge you that you're not going to make it. And we bet a very traditional Argentinian cookie called an alfajor. It's a, it's a big deal. So I said, I bet I can. So I went to my mom and my dad and said, hey, can I apply for this? So I remember my, my parents tell me, Look, you can, but if you get in, you're doing it. So sure. So I did apply, and there were 12 spots, and I ended up on the 12th spot. Wow. The and I was the only uh, actually student from a public school that made it, which made me a bit of a legend in my school. So, you mm -hmm. know, I was in the public school. That was kind of you know, the closest thing would be probably I don't know Calvin here. Uh, and um, so off I went I, I, to the U.S. with a somewhat choppy, not great English to finish high school. And I ended up in St. Louis, Missouri. What an experience. And what people kept telling me there was, you don't know this, but you're Canadian. Really? And this, well, you know, your demeanor... And you always follow the rules, and you know, and you're 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 kind of you're you're very calm, and you you act like a Canadian and a nice guy, a nice guy. Yeah, I guess. It, okay, so I went back to Argentina, finished uh, my university there, and did my masters. And the situation in Argentina was extremely difficult from an economic perspective. But I was all, always the guy against the grain, so. You know, I was working, and if you wanted to get a contract anywhere, you needed to always pay someone to 
and, and I, it just didn't sit well. Mm. So I said, well, let's, how hard it is to get into Canada. So I looked and there was this independent immigrant uh, visa program. And I said, well, can you qualify for this? I'll just may as well. And at the same time, there was another little ad um, and my, my background is in communications and, and, and advertising. So it's, it's kind of mm. always weave through my life. So saying, you know, the Jewish community of Winnipeg is going to Argentina. We're, we're looking for people that wants to move to Winnipeg. And um, I said, okay, I already, you know, I've even already entered the, the, the Canadian uh, kind of process. And um, I had actually an interview with the, at the consulate. And they said, you know what, you're getting the visa. What you need to understand is none of your experience matters in Canada. You're going to be working at Tim Hortons for two years. If you're okay with that, then welcome to Canada. If not, stay in, in Argentina. Uh, so I said, okay, understand. So I sent an email to um, Bob Friedman at the uh, Jewish Federation of Winnipeg, and I get an email reply from a different person. Um, and um, she says, before you go anywhere in Canada, you need to listen to us. Mm -hmm. So I did. They arrived in, in Argentina. It was funny because it was around this time of the year, which is kind of winter in the Southern Hemisphere. So there I was, you know, wrapped up in my, in my coat and they were like in golf shirts. <laughs> now I understand why. I do understand why. Uh -huh. And, uh, you know, I had a meeting with the Jewish community uh, representatives uh, with Bob and Faye and, and it was great. But, you know, it was fine. And then there was another uh, table with the Business Council of Manitoba. And at the time, the CEO is now an, an MP, Jim Carr. Oh, yeah. And with, of course, my English was decent because I was coming you know, from the States. And we talked about the situation in Argentina. And then he looks at me and says, I'm going to make you an offer that you cannot resist. If you choose Winnipeg, I am going to put your resume in front of 50 CEOs. Now, tell me what other city in Canada is going to do that for you. Wow. True story. He, he repeats that story everywhere. So if wow. you ask him. And I said, Jim, give me your card. The moment that I land in Winnipeg, I'm calling you. And I did. And he did send my resume, not to 50 CEOs. He kind of, that was <laughs> of an overreach of his part. I well, even, even five is a huge deal. Like, that's a pretty but good deal. He uh, pulled me in touch with Drew Kringen, who was at the time the owner of McKim Communications. Oh, yeah. That's an and ad agency, was, McKim? Yeah, and it was yeah. an unbelievable experience, and I'm so blessed of being here. So I sit down with Drew, and we talked. Then Drew said, okay, I'm going to call someone. So he, he called Dave Burroughs, which was the, at the time was the second in command there. And at the end of the chat, you know, an hour and a bit, it was a really good chat, and they say, okay, how much money do you want to make? It's like, what? I, I don't know. I came two weeks ago from Argentina, I have no, no idea. So I, I said, can I think about this? So I called Jim, he gave me, uh, helped me with a number, and that's how I started working in, in Winnipeg. Wow. Uh, that's the story. It's quite a story. <laughs> Incredible. Well, that's that's a very huge success story too. How has your how did your time working for McKimmon, you know, in communications, how has that shaped how you approach the CEO job? Well, you know, Drew is more like almost like a dad, right? He's 
larger than life and 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 very generous very generous so you know i got furniture from that they were not using mm. and you know they introduced me to curling which i still to this day curl very cool and uh then of course the, you know it was a temporary job and and it was intended to be a kind of unique gain experience a god gain experience and i've been paid to have the experience and um, we lost a couple of accounts, so I knew that things were not great. And advertising is a tough business to start with. And at the same time, a person that was working there uh, was working at a different company called Power Banknote. And she said, you know what? They may need someone like you. So I went for an interview and I got a job there as Makim was transitioning to become you know, what it is today. Mm -hmm. And so from McKim, I moved to uh, Power Magnet and I did international sales and marketing for them. And then um, my son Joel was born. And the issue with international marketing and sales is that you're traveling two weeks out of each month. Mm. So that was just not great uh, from a supporting uh, perspective. From fatherhood's perspective, yeah. Uh, so there was um, this you know, um, search, I was looking at the paper, uh, where I still was doing papers, uh, like physical papers, and the Manitoba Museum was looking for someone, uh, and what the requirements were, were really aligned with my history, because in Argentina, I uh, taught at the University of Buenos Aires, so I had a, quite a bit of academic background, if, uh, you know, those listening or uh, you know, watching this, I am a nerd. I am 100. percent No, no, no question about it. So, you know, that was interesting. And then serving the community is something that I always uh, been, you know, in my family. It's it runs in the family, and it was no travel. <laughs> so I applied, and I actually I remember I got the call from the HR person. I was in Penang. Malaysia. When I got the offer, I said yes. And then for the next uh, almost 10 years, I worked as first the um, director of marketing, sales and programs, and then the deputy executive director at uh, the Vatican Museum. Very cool. Did you work with Claudette Leclerc, obviously? Yes, the, I, yes. Well, I mean, she's my friend. Yeah. She's a mentor. I actually emailed her because I saw that she was uh, oh, no way. Uh, to say, hey, you know, no matter what you do, I just follow you. <laughs> um, so we we were uh, quite a team. Uh, we did quite a few interesting and and innovative things there. That mm -hmm. I, and and she taught me how to be a CEO, a CEO director, really. Awesome. And, um, then I got the opportunity with the Winnipeg Humane Society. I met with the board. They liked me. I liked the challenge. And uh, five years ago, this is where I am right now. Standing. And and the rest is history. Hey. It's an amazing story. Well, thank you for sharing it. I love it. Yeah. What's been the most surprising thing about the last five years specifically with the Humane Society from, from a CEO perspective? Well, everything is counterintuitive. <laughs> that is um, kind of the, the, the recurring themes. You know, when you think that, you know, it's, it's common sense. So for example, you need to bring every animal here. And the opposite is true. And trying to explain that to the community, saying, it, you know, when you find, for example, a stray cat and it's in Transcona, cats don't travel more than two kilometers. So if you care 
for a couple of weeks to try to find the the person that cares for that cat within that radius you put some posters out the chance of reunion goes up by 200 percent instead of bringing here there's no identification if usually there's no tattoo or anything like that so um without that um what are the chances of reunion well zero so learning those things uh that again is against what you think it's logical uh, was quite quite surprising Uh, and and then the 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 passion you know Mm. Coming from the museum is all brains, mostly. And here you have to respect that, yes, it's science and it's important, but also you have to respect the feeling, the passion, the bond that, you know, um, an animal has. And, and I will never forget um, at first, and I've done it in a few, a few occasions, I, I go around and try to do other jobs, you know, mm. <laughs> like real jobs, not the CEO job. And intake is where, you know, people surrender their, their, their animals to us. And there was this little girl crying. The family spent $2,000 trying to help the cat. But the cat was very ill and they didn't have any more money. They, they are, you know, they, they were aware at the time, you know, working hard, but not able to afford care. And that goodbye, it was something. And I always try to remind myself that um you know you 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 have to um think about how hard it is to let go and anything that we can do to avoid that we should mm-hmm. well it's a family member right at the end of the day that's it's it's, a, it's some people are losing family members and you have to keep that in mind for sure so at the end of our time together, I have a little segment called Just Because, where I ask the same seven questions of everybody. Claudette did it the other day, a couple weeks ago. Uh, are you okay to do that? It's just about causes and, and the things you care about. Okay. So question one, what is the very first cause you actually ever remember caring about? The first cause that I, um, well, coming from Argentina, and this is a heavy one, I'm sorry. That's okay. Is democracy. Mm. I was, you know, born at a time where there was a military dictatorship that killed 30,000 people. And when I was entering high school is when uh, the first free election happened in many, many years. And, and, you know, there was this student council and the ability to have a say. I mean, I was not eligible to vote because I clearly was not 18. But that, 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 the, 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 I, I, the electricity, the celebration of being able to vote. And that was really irks me about Canada's people not voting. Please <laughs> vote. You don't know how hard it is for certain countries to actually hold elections. Mm-hmm. So that was kind of the first, you know, cause that I, I really deeply cared about. Yeah, that's one aspect that we don't know how good we have it. No. And until you experience something else, it's hard to explain like how important and in you know especially you know down south and everywhere that we're seeing democracy uh at risk at risk yes exactly very well put great great answer uh question two so if money politics and logistics were no issue at all for you you could just snap your fingers and something would happen what's the first thing you would do in support of your current cause well the what i would really love to do and we're trying to do it uh with Unfortunately, not you know without limitations, 
is helping our uh, brothers and sisters in our original communities, our First Nation communities mm. in the north, in remote areas. They have no access to proper care or they love their animals. They have a very special relationship with them. We do respect that. And I wish I could do a lot more for them. And that will be the first thing that I would do for sure. Question three. Question three, what's the biggest misunderstanding or stigma about your current cause? I think the biggest misunderstanding is that uh, if you bring an animal to the Humane Society, the chances are that it's going to be euthanized. That is not the case. We actually reach the lowest number of euthanizations. We, we bring in uh, to the shelter over 6,000 animals and less than 11%, and they're extremely sick, um, are humanely euthanized. The vast majority, they get a new chance. This is a place of hope. And I wish more people will see that it is actually a place of hope. How much of your job is just educating people on the impo- on on what actually happens instead of just you know something they might hear about from so and so or from this source or from the third hand? You know, like how much of your time are you spending just educating the population? Well, it is my job. You know, it, the, the I learn more and more than being the CEO of an organization like this one. It, it is really about ensuring that people understand what we do and that we um, essentially explain why we do things in certain ways. And that's why I blog, I'm, I'm very active mm. in, in social media. I try to be um, also with, with media requests explaining the, the work that we do, why it matters and, and why we make certain decisions. Mm-hmm. You know, it's supporting the team here, but also educating the public in a very respectful way. One mm-hmm. of the things that we don't like to do is to judge anyone. So it's more about presenting the information in, in, and then um, trying to have conversations and bringing different perspectives together. If, you know, there, there's many micro divisions within animal welfare, and I, I work hard to try to eliminate that as much as I can. Very well said. Yeah, for sure. Uh, so question four, what's a time in your life where you had to pivot because plan A wasn't working out, so you had to go with plan B? <laughs> that's the story of my life you know um there's been always something and and one of the uh things that uh, i guess some stuff might find annoying and others enjoy is you know i i love the idea of iteration so nothing is really permanent it's not that nothing is ever perfect so we start something and we look at what results are we trying to achieve and then we adjust there's nothing wrong with making a mistake as long as we make it once and you learn from it and then you make things better. And I understand that, you know, when something's working, don't touch it, uh, but also society changes all the time. So you have to be really attuned to what the community is expecting of you. Um, so pivoting is, is, is in, in today's world, is just the way it is. Very well said. Yeah, no, couldn't agree more. So, so many people, don't learn that even as adults, you know, we're try we try to teach kids like, Hey, you know, try, if you fail, that's okay. But even grownups are still like terrified of failure. So they, their plan has to be perfect. And they, and then they just get paralyzed with, with not actually doing anything. No actions is actually being taken. Yeah. That's so interesting. Uh, question five, what's the best advice that you've ever been given? You know, I've been lucky to have a lot of great people and, 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 great mentors. Uh, I would say uh, in, in uh, 
kind of along the lines of what we were just chatting about, you know, Leanne Parallel at Pollard, um, we're working very hard on this RFP. And she it was like two in the morning and she looks at me and says, good enough is good enough, Javier. And mm. uh, I now repeat that all the time is, you know, if something is good enough, let's roll and not wait to be perfect because by the time that is perfect, it may be too late. And that has been proving useful now. You know, every day we learn something new about the coronavirus and, and, and their changes, government adjusts as well. And, you know, I'm not bothered by it. I just, you know, it's good enough. Okay, let's roll and, and, and see what we can learn from it. And nothing is perfect anyway. So trying to achieve that, you're just, you're not going to do it. So you might as well just get it. Get it out, get it good, and if it's good, let's roll. I love it. Uh, question six, what advice would you give your 10-year-old self if you could talk to him right now? Well, I'll look straight up at younger Javier <laughs> and say, Javier, shut up and listen. Mm. It's really not about fixing problems for people. It's about asking the very important question, what can I do to help you? And um, I was the type of person and boss at it 10 years ago and say, this is what you're going to do. And that was not the right thing to say or to do. It's more about how can I actually facilitate? How can I help you? That, that's, I, I, I hear that. that you. I hear that a lot in, in communities that are serving, you know, in charities that are serving different communities. We roll in, we say, here's how we're going to solve your problems. Here's how it's going to go. And you're going to be great. Whereas if you show up and ask, hey, what do you need? A lot of times the action is different than what you originally intended. So I think that's great advice. Yeah, very well said. Thank you. This has been a wonderful conversation. It's great to meet you. Uh, last question is, what do you want to be remembered for? Um, I guess he was a good guy. I, 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 I uh, you know care a lot and, and during this pandemic, you know, leading an organization that's 125, 126 years old, um, I am very cognizant of history. And, uh, you know, we're trying to be very careful with our corporate records because this one is, is a unique, you know, one in a, hopefully in a century. Um, but at the end of the day, um, you want to leave the world a little better than the way that you received it. Mm -hmm. And if you were able to kind of make a little tiny contribution and for able to say, you know what, he, he was a good guy. Uh, I, I'll take that. It's the same, well, same as what those, what your schoolmate said in St. Louis when you first came, you know, he's a good guy. He's a good Canadian. You're a good Argentinian. You're a good man. You've made this podcast better for being on it. So thank you um, for being on it. Javier Schwersensky, CEO of the Winnipeg Humane Society. Thank you so much for being with us today. Uh, WinnipegHumaneSociety.ca, what else can people expect in the next uh, you know, month or two from, the, from you guys? Well, we, um, we're going to continue to try to serve the community as best as possible. And we're continuously rolling out initiatives uh, based on the need. So we're, we're, very, you know, we're looking at the economy. We're looking at how we can help people. So we had a food bank that we started and we are planning on continuing. And uh, try again, try to, to help those in need, both animals and, and humans. So what you would expect is a society that will listen to you and will try to be there for you. And hopefully our supporters will continue to provide the, the fuel, which is the money that we need to fulfill our mission. 
for sure. Javier, thanks again for being here. This was a wonderful conversation. Good luck in the future, and uh, thanks for being on the podcast. Thank you. Very nice to meet you. Take care. Thank you again to Javier Schwarzenski for a wonderful conversation about animals and Argentina and so much more. It was a really good chat. Um, if you are still listening to this little outro I do every week, thank you for sticking around. Uh, and thank you for sharing the podcast with friends and family. It's been great to see so many folks enjoying the podcast and the interviews. And I really appreciate you taking the time to share it with a friend because that's how, that's how it grows. All music on the podcast was composed and produced by Trenton Burton. You can hear more of his music at trentonburton.com. To hear more of episodes of the podcast, you can visit the website that has all 43 episodes now at becauseandeffect.org. That's becauseandeffect, all one word, dot org. Because and Effect is a podcast of the Winnipeg Foundation. To learn more about the foundation, you can visit wpgfdn.org or at wpgfdn on all social media platforms. I'm Nolan Bicknell signing off. Thank you again for listening, and we will see you next week. And remember, you can judge the heart of a person by their treatment of animals. Bye-bye.